Chapter seven of Rural Rides. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Rural Rides by William Cobbett. Chapter seven. Huntingdon Journal. Through Ware and Royston to Huntingdon. Royston. Monday morning, twenty first January, eighteen twenty two. Came from London yesterday noon to this town on my way to huntingdon my road was through ware royston is just within the line on the cambridgeshire side which divides hertfordshire from cambridgeshire on this road as on almost all the others going from it the enormous wen has swelled out to the distance of about six or seven miles the land till you come nearly to ware which is in hertfordshire and which is twenty-three miles from the wen is chiefly a strong and deep loam with the gravel a good distance from the surface. The land is good wheat land, but I observed only three fields of Swedish turnips in the twenty-three miles, and no wheat drilled. The wheat is sown on ridges of great width here and there, sometimes on ridges of ten, at others on ridges of seven, on those of five, four, three, and even two feet wide. Yet the bottom is manifestly not very wet generally, and that there is not a bottom of clay is clear from the poor growth of the oak trees. All the trees are shabby in this country, and the eye is incessantly offended by the sight of pollards, which are seldom suffered to disgrace even the meanest lands in Hampshire or Sussex. As you approach where, the bottom becomes chalk, of a dirtyish colour, and in some parts far below the surface. After you quit where, which is a mere market-town, the land grows by degrees poorer. The chalk lies nearer and nearer to the surface, till you come to the open common fields, within a few miles of Royston. Along here the land is poor enough. It is not the stiff red loam mixed with large blue-grey flints lying upon the chalk, such as you see in the north of Hampshire, but a whitish sort of clay, with little yellow flattish stones amongst it, sure signs of a hungry soil. Yet this land bears wheat sometimes. Royston is at the foot of this high poor land, or rather in a dell, the open side of which looks towards the north. It is a common market-town, not mean, but having nothing of beauty about it, and having on it, on three of the sides out of the four, those very ugly things, common fields, which have all the nakedness, without any of the smoothness, of downs. Huntingdon, Tuesday morning, 22nd January, 1822. Immediately upon quitting Royston, you come along, for a considerable distance, with enclosed fields on the left and open common fields on the right. Here the land is excellent. A dark rich loam, free from stones, on chalk beneath at a great distance. The land appears for a mile or two to resemble that at and near Faversham in Kent, which I have before noticed. The fields on the left seem to have been enclosed by Act of Parliament, and they certainly are the most beautiful tract of fields that I ever saw. Their extent may be from ten to thirty acres each divided by quick-set hedges, exceedingly well planted and raised. The whole tract is nearly a perfect level, the cultivation neat and the stubble-heaps, such as remain out, giving a proof of great crops of straw, while, on land with a chalk bottom, there is seldom any want of a proportionate quantity of grain. Even here, however, I saw but few Swedish turnips, and those not good, nor did I see any wheat drilled, and observed that, in many parts, the broadcast sowing had been performed in a most careless manner, 
especially at about three miles from royston where some parts of the broad lands seem to have had the seed flung along them with a shovel while other parts contained only here and there a blade or at least were so thinly supplied as to make it almost doubtful whether they had not been wholly missed in some parts the middles only of the ridges were sown thickly this is shocking husbandry a norfolk or a kentish farmer would have sowed a bushel and a half of seed to the acre here and would have had a far better plant of wheat about four miles i think it is from royston you come to the estate of lord hardwick you see the house at the end of an avenue about two miles long which however wants the main thing namely fine and lofty trees the soil here begins to be a very stiff loam at top clay beneath for a considerable distance and in some places beds of yellow gravel with very large stones mixed in it the land is generally cold a great deal of draining is wanted and yet the bottom is such as not to be favourable to the growth of the oak of which sort i have not seen one handsome tree since i left london a grove such as i saw at weston in herefordshire would here be a thing to attract the attention of all ranks and all ages what then would they say on beholding a wood of oaks hickories chestnuts walnuts locusts gum-trees and maples in america lord hardwick's avenue appears to be lined with elms chiefly they are shabby he might have had ash for the ash will grow anywhere on sand on gravel on clay on chalk or in swamps it is surprising that those who planted these rows of trees did not observe how well the ash grows here in the hedgerows in the plantations everywhere the ash is fine the ash is the hardiest of all our large trees look at trees on any part of the sea coast you will see them all even the firs lean from the sea breeze except the ash you will see the oak shaved up on the side of the breeze but the ash stands upright as if in a warm woody dell we have no tree that attains a greater height than the ash and certainly none that equals it in beauty of leaf it bears pruning better than any other tree its timber is one of the most useful and as underwood and firewood it far exceeds all others of english growth from the trees of an avenue like that of lord hardwick a hundred pounds worth of fuel might if the trees were ash be cut every year in prunings necessary to preserve the health and beauty of the trees yet on this same land has his lordship planted many acres of larches and firs these appear to have been planted about twelve years if instead of these he had planted ash four years from the seed-bed and once removed had cut them down within an inch of the ground the second year after planting and had planted them at four feet apart he would now have had about six thousand ash poles on an average twelve feet long on each acre of land in his plantation which at three halfpence each would have been worth somewhere nearly forty pounds an acre he might now have cut the poles leaving about six hundred to stand upon an acre to come to trees and while these were growing to timber the underwood would for poles hoops broomsticks spars rods and faggots have been worth twenty-five or thirty pounds an acre every ten years can beggarly stuff like larches and firs ever be profitable to this extent ash is timber fit for the wheelwright at the age of twenty years or less what can you do with a rotten fir thing at that age this estate of lord hardwick appears to be very large there is a part which is apparently in his own hands as indeed the whole must soon be unless he give up all idea of rent or unless he can choke off the fundholder or get again afloat on the sea of paper money in this part of his land there is a fine piece of lucerne in rows at about eighteen inches distant from each other they are now manuring it with burnt earth mixed with some dung and i see several heaps of burnt earth hereabouts the directions for doing this 
are contained in my year's residence as taught me by mr william gauntlet of winchester the land is all along here laid up in those wide and high ridges which i saw in gloucestershire going from gloucester to oxford as i have already mentioned these ridges are ploughed back or down but they are ploughed up again for every sowing at an inn near lord hardwick's i saw the finest parcel of dovehouse pigeons i ever saw in my life between this place and huntingdon is the village of caxton which very much resembles almost a village of the same size in piccadilly where i saw the women dragging harrows to harrow in the corn certainly this village resembles nothing english except some of the rascally rotten boroughs in cornwall and devonshire on which a just providence seems to have entailed its curse the land just about here does seem to be really bad the face of the country is naked the few scrubbed trees that now and then meet the eye and even the quicksets are covered with a yellow moss all is bleak and comfortless and just on the most dreary part of this most dreary scene stands almost opportunely caxton gibbet tendering its friendly one arm to the passers-by it has recently been fresh painted and written on in conspicuous characters for the benefit i suppose of those who cannot exist under the thought of wheat at four shillings a bushel not far from this is a new house which the coachman says belongs to a mr cheer who if report speaks truly is not however notwithstanding his name guilty of the sin of making people either drunkards or gluttons certainly the spot on which he has built his house is one of the most ugly that i ever saw few spots have everything that you could wish to find but this according to my judgment has everything that every man of ordinary taste would wish to avoid the country changes but little till you get quite to huntingdon the land is generally quite open or in large fields strong wheat land that wants a good deal of draining very few turnips of any sort are raised and of course few sheep and cattle kept few trees and those scrubbed few woods and those small few hills and those hardly worthy of the name all which when we see them makes us cease to wonder that this country is so famous for fox-hunting such it has doubtless been in all times and to this circumstance huntingdon that is to say hunting dun or hunting down unquestionably owes its name because down does not mean unploughed land but open and unsheltered land and the saxon word is dun when you come down near to the town itself the scene suddenly totally and most agreeably changes the river ouse separates godmanchester from huntingdon and there is i think no very great difference in the population of the two both together do not make up a population of more than about five thousand souls huntingdon is a slightly built town compared with lewis for instance the houses are not in general so high nor made of such solid and costly materials the shops are not so large and their contents not so costly there is not a show of so much business and so much opulence but huntingdon is a very clean and nice place contains many elegant houses and the environs are beautiful above and below the bridge under which the ewes passes are the most beautiful and by far the most beautiful meadows that i ever saw in my life the meadows at lewes at guildford at farnham at winchester at salisbury at exeter at gloucester at hereford and even at canterbury are nothing compared with those of huntingdon in point of beauty here are no reeds here is no sedge no unevennesses of any sort here are bowling greens of hundreds of acres in extent with a river winding through them full to the brink one of these meadows is the race-course and so pretty a spot so level so smooth so green and of such an extent i never saw and never expected to see from the bridge you look across the valleys 
first to the west and then to the east. The valleys terminate at the foot of rising ground, well set with trees, from amongst which church spires raise their heads here and there. I think it would be very difficult to find a more delightful spot than this in the world. To my fancy, and every one to his taste, the prospect from this bridge far surpasses that from Richmond Hill. All that I have yet seen of Huntingdon I like exceedingly. It is one of those pretty, clean, unstenched, unconfined places that tend to lengthen life and make it happy. End of chapter 7